Hello, and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters from the e-world trade fair in Essen, Germany. This week, we discuss German industry. Are we out of the energy crisis? And what does it mean for companies in Europe's industrial heartland? Joining me, Richard Sverson, is Tobias Federico of Energy Brainpool, and Stephanie Muller of BASF, one of Germany's largest power and energy consumers. So a warm welcome to you both. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Now, I'd like to start off really by asking you, um, Stephanie, that we, we've talked a lot on this podcast about being out of the energy crisis. Uh, what's your view? Are we out of the crisis? <laughs> um, is out of the crisis only a point where we are reduced or back to lower prices? Is that the definition of out of the crisis? Some people may be, <laughs> but uh, I mean, there are several de definitions, but we, we're certainly not seeing the high price levels that we have had uh, in, in, you know, in recent months, certainly going back a year. Um, so in some ways, you could say we're over the worst of it, or are you concerned there's worse to come? Well, I mean, if I look at the, the whole regulation topic or basket, which has been opened last year, I'm not so sure if we're really out of the crisis or if the crisis will be pushed back into due to um, regulation which we've seen also in the past which is not aligned but just one regulation after another and then um, you have to find your way out of it and um, they might have destructive effects which is not foreseeable yet. So, so a patchwork of regulatory yes. moves that really could have a lot of unintended yeah. consequences. Yeah, yeah, so that's certainly what's coming both at the national and at the European level. Yeah. Um, wh what's your view, Tobias? I mean, I know we've talked about this before in podcasts, but, you know, end of the crisis, is it too soon to say? Well, I think um, the crisis has different periods. Uh, I think in the beginning we had the panic period, so what's going on, what's happening? Are we facing really a, a shortage in fuel and gas? Um, we peaked in power prices. Then I think was the reaction period. Um, most of you have seen that uh, either on a political level to securing the fuels and the result was lower wholesale prices. But uh, I think the crisis still continues as Stephanie said because um, now we have this political period. So the high insecurity of pol potential political measurements, um, some of them are already active to secure high end, uh, to, secure, uh, to secure end user prices not to be too high the German called Strompreisbremse, um, which is effective right now. Um, but the wholesale market are currently on a, on a price level which is much lower than expected, but not back again to the old levels. I don't think that it will reach the older levels, so we will have a new normal. The new normal will be higher than it used to be. And um, so therefore, I think the, the peak of the crisis is over, but I think still the crisis is going on a little bit. Rumble on and on, but a little while. You could say as well, you know, Tobias highlighted, or you talked about the regular, regulatory interventions, you've got the price volatility. This must make it very hard for, for a company like, like yours to, to, to create that kind of investment environment where you're looking to, 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 to green your, your energy that you use, you know, it's, it, to, 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 to coin a phrase. Is, would that be a fair assessment? Um. Yes, it, it has become harder, but um, this is probably what also differentiates us from, from other industrial companies. 
is that we are not only looking at sourcing PPAs or green power via um, PPAs, but we're also looking in investing into the assets to be not so much dependent on the actual power price, which is um, happening on the exchanges, but actually to have producer economics from the asset. And then this is our strategy to make us more resilient to, to the power prices. That's very interesting. I think, and, and if, you, if you look at these, the current market dynamics, it's very volatile. Um, you know, as, as, there's, a, there's enormous price swings, as, as Tobias as, and yourself have illustrated. What are your concerns going forward, I mean, in, the, in this kind of market environment? You mean in regards to the volatility? Yeah. Um, I guess our point of view is that the system and the market needs volatility because in the end, or volatile prices, because in the end, how else would you, um, yeah, how else would you um, then also bring the customer into this, into the whole market? If you have a um, quite a steady price, then I don't really have anything to do, right? I just put my, my plug in, uh, like, yeah, the electricity into the bucket and then it works like it did the last couple of years. But um, to actually reach also um, demand flexibility, I also have to have um, higher prices. So I have an economical incentive actually to lower my consumption. And then at lower prices, I can then push it up again. So if I need volatility or volatile prices to actually make this system work, I mean, I think that's often forgotten because you, you know, governments or policymakers assume that you know a slow, low, stable prices for five years—that's what industry wants. But you, we'll, maybe we'll come back to that later, Stephanie. But but what's your view here? I mean, that, that's classic, that's classic sort of energy trading here. You know, that we they, they like it volatile, volatile markets show that that, that things work. You, they provide the price signals for investments, both in storage and also to to become more efficient. So would that be? A, a fair summary? Mm, yeah, well, I think volatility is good, but also um, there's bad volatility. What does it mean? I think if we have uh, fundamentally driven volatility in the market, um, coming from the, the, let's call it overproduction from the renewables, you can react on that, as Stephanie said, and I think that's, that's a part of the good volatility. Looking into the long-term market, also there are certain volatility connected to insecurities, but in case the insecurity becomes so big that we are not on a fundamental level anymore, uh, rather in a, let's say, chaotic thinking and chaotic acting, that for me is the bad volatility. And speaking for our industrial customers, most of them would like to have a stable price somehow um, on the long-term perspective to plan their budgets, but also have the flexibility to react on the volatility itself. Um, and that's a little bit difficult, especially um, when you have unsecure long-term prices with a very high bad volatility. Um, so then it's really hard to plan your budget and also it's hard to be better than your competitor in the in your industry sector. So therefore, I think volatility is good. We need volatility. But the type of volatility we've seen last year was rather bad volatility. And that's also extreme volatility. To be fair, I mean we haven't seen anything like that certainly in the in the in the years that I've covered these markets. But uh, you have you said you have some industrial customers to be us. What you know, and the talk has been of demand destruction, both for electricity and and gas. And what, what's your view? Has this has this 
what's the case in, in Germany that you you know you've, you've probably done some analysis and, and and work on this field? So so what's your view here? Um, well, actually, we see a reduction in, in industrial consumption. The question is, where does it really come from? Um, one could be really that you try to reduce your consumption in general, so see energy efficiency parts, but that's much more a mid and long term effect. Um, that's a good part if you have high prices and also volatile prices, then you try to reduce your consumption. Um, but what we saw is that really, at least in the high price period, most of the industrial consumers did reduce their output of their goods. Um, that was the only way how they could react in a short period of time to this uh, price crisis. Um, but I haven't seen any industrial company who's really thinking of moving out of Germany itself. Um, but still, they, they have this insecurity in general, what to do, what if it could happen again, could it happen again. Um, so there's a high insecurity and of course it's also a political pressure to say, well, we would move to out of Europe where we can emit as much CO2 as we want to with much lower power prices and we produce our own good. Um, but we've seen also with all the crisis within the logistics that that's only one part of the coin. Can't just up, up, up a big factory uh, from maybe this area of Germany, the Ruhrgebiet or the Ruhr area, to another part of the world. I mean, it's, it's a little bit more complex than uh, yeah. than, than, than that, as, as you as you rightly say, Tobias. But can I add something here because mm. I agree. But what I've also seen of what happens as well is that what we've seen last year and then how the the politics interfered in this market, um, not only for the industrial players, because I mean, I guess most of the industrial players also understood that the politics were also part of the, the forces which pushed up the prices, um, is that this made like some, yeah, it had an influence on people also in the decision making of new projects and new investment decisions. And this is something I'm, I have a tendency, I don't know, but I think it could lead that it might not happen in Germany. That, 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 that people relocate out of Germany? No, or that, that we bring in like new investments and if, if we uh, build okay, up yeah. something new, because um, what we've seen on the political side is like how they interfered and how shortly they interfered and how drastically they interfered. And um, not only in bringing down prices, but what we've seen on the gas market, which pushed up tremendously what they did, um, is something which is uncontrollable. And this also, I think a lot of people realize this then or maybe now in, like, in the after movie of this whole crisis thing. And this is something which might have more effects on the longer term future. So the new investments will yes. be, be made elsewhere, as we're yeah. saying, where the you know energy prices are more predictable, or or the political environment is more predictable, yes. more stable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I I think I must agree. <laughs> Not I think I, I really must agree, um, because for for me it was a regime change. Usually in Germany, when you invested in Germany, you knew that you have been quite stable with your former investments, so there was no back taking of historical profits. And this was one big impact, that to say, okay, we have this um, surplus charge um, for your assets and we calculate this back, that's completely new. Um, so your investments were always secure. This is also stability somehow. This is one part. 
And the other thing is the marker interference, market interference in the gas market, which is uh, where Stephanie talked about, was really interesting because the motivation of the government to filling up the gas storage was to prevent a fuel shortage. And they spent a huge amount of money, increased prices by that, so gas prices. The effect was good because we had no fuel shortage, but we had a huge impact on the market and again, high gas prices, high electricity prices, and the government needed to interfere. So the government needed to interfere on their own measurements they taken because we saw the results in the market. And that's the situation which I completely agree we have a huge insecurity. And, and the problem there was, of course, I mean, we're looking a bit back now, but the problem was this was, this uh, it didn't just affect Germany, it affected all the countries all around and caused a lot of uh, upset uh, and disruption for, for, you know, certainly, and criticism of the marginal pricing model. But, uh, um, yeah, but on the other hand, honestly, I think the measurement was right. Mm. In that moment of time, looking back, what was the other opportunity? Not doing anything, and then we have a real fuel shortage, and that would have been a huge economic crisis. So we paid a lot of money, we have a lot of collateral damage, but we reached the goal. So the decision was right to do it from the government, but the implications have been much higher than expected. Of course, these, these unintended consequences that we hear quite a lot about. But one of the consequences was that industry shut down in, in, in sort of either short or temporary periods. Um, what would it take for that gas demand, for example, from industry to reach uh, pre-crisis levels again. What would it? What was needs to happen um, on that front, uh, Stephanie? I can't answer that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, is it is it all about is it all about prices, or is it much more than than, than prices? Is it all because these are you know you're a global global company. It's, it's it's a very competitive environment out there. Is it just as easy to say right prices uh, prices are lower, then we'll start up the machine? So. Well, I mean, if I look at BSF and the decisions or the decisions which they take, took to close certain uh, installations down, so they will be closed. They will not reopen this. So I don't see us coming back to pre-crisis gas levels. What's your view here? Um, well, I think the, the implication of interventions into the whole system um, is something which leads to missing guidance for the future. What is missing right now is um, looking into the general news and also the general population in Germany, which in the end is also the people who decide for in industries, what to do is, um, is gas a fuel for the future? Of course not, we will have hydrogen, but when we will have hydrogen, if I make an investment today into a production facility which consumes natural gas, how secure is this investment for the next 10 years? I'm not speaking about the next 30 years, just the next 10 years or the next five years. And if you hear then, no, we must reduce our gas consumption uh, when you burn um, at home for heating purposes, the, the law, the expected law was that it should be at 65% of renewable sources, also for gas, that it's impossible to reach within the January 24. So there's a huge insecurity and it's a missing guidance from the government where they say, okay, you stick with natural gas, even though it's not clean gas, let's work on clean gas, but for the next 10 years, your investment decisions are secure. Mm -hmm. Having said the things before, that there's a certain insecurity that governments might react in a, in a strange way they didn't react before, mm -hmm. uh, that is missing. So I don't think that gas consumption will really in general pick up as pre-crisis level. And, and one of the 
the, the policy measures being discussed in Berlin is this the industrial uh, power price, which is, I think, set at uh, Euro 60 per megawatt hour uh, until 2030, um, and covering, what, 150 terawatt hours, so around 20% of Germany's consumption. Well, what's your view here? Is this the right answer, Tobias? For me, it's pure subsidy. Um, looking at our long-term scenarios on, uh, on yearly base prices, we are, in a few scenarios, reaching 80 euro per megawatt hour just for the electricity. And that's a base price. So there's no structural element by this, uh, there. There's no peak element there. Um, so there's a, there's a price gap. And this price gap, price gap must be financed. And for me, it's a clear subsidy, one. Secondly, I think if we have a fixed price, what incentive do you have to reduce your consumption? What incentive do you have to steer your consumption together with the availability of renewable energies? There is none. And so it leads into a wrong direction from, from my opinion. And what's the view from industry here? I mean, this is obviously on the table to help you guys to provide that sort of stable framework for certainly in the price environment. But, but what, what's, what would, what's your reaction here, Stefan? I cannot speak for the industry, but uh, speaking for BSF, um, we're not a fan of the, of the uh, industry price. Um, because, yeah, that's what, what you said, Tobias, is I completely agree, and this is also what we see. Um, it's, it's a subsidy, and then also, like, it opens up a whole new field of complexi complexity. Like, where do you take the lines? Who's able to actually apply for it? Or who's going to get it and who's not going to get it? And then, I mean, if we look back at the Besondere Ausgleichsregelung, there were massive things happening to actually take part in the Besondere Ausgleichsregelung, which nobody expected. For those who don't understand German, what would be the English translation of that? Besondere Ausgleichsregelung. It's a good one because it's one, one word, one <laughs> long German word, or two words actually. Um, I think it's a, it's a special financial compensation um, uh, regarding, I think it was uh, GRID. Fees? No, it was the EG levy. Uh, EG levy. Reduced EG levy for high-intensity uh, consumers. The high EG levy intensive. is the renewable energy levy. Yes, yeah. the special German subsidy. Yes, but yeah. So apart from that, where you bring in new complexity to the system, which is already quite complex, and then I also completely agree. Like. You want to have a system where we are, where we're going to 100% flexible or 100% renewables, and we're also talking about batteries, storages, all these things to actually integrate the renewable energies into the system and also demand flexibility. How do I reach this if I have a fixed price, and if I don't really have an incentive to be helping the system? So. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem to be that well thought out in that respect, you know. But yeah. maybe that will happen, or the idea, isn't it? The idea that after 2030, there'll be so much renewables in the system that uh, prices will come down below anyway. Is that thinking behind it? <laughs> um, well, <laughs> we, we don't see it in our scenarios. Um, yeah. But uh, secondly, yes, it's true, prices might come down in case the, the natural fuel, wind and solar is available. Um, but in the in the time in winter time when it's cold and it's not windy, we will have peaking prices of 200, 250 euro. Um, and, and the reverse is also true when you have a lot of wind and solar that we're seeing. Prices will go yep. massively negative. Yeah. And, and and then we will have the same effect as every subsidy that people try to adapt. Um, so 
they uh, will shift their high consumption into the high price hours and reduce their consumption in the low price hours. So, of course, you have the demand flexibility, but in the complete wrong direction. Exactly. It's kind of almost a perverse incentive there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is it likely to... I mean, I know, you know, the, um, the energy minister, Habeck, who's of the, from the Green Party, is, is under a bit of pressure at the moment internally, um, to put it mildly. Um, but is it likely to, to pass the German cabinet. I mean, they're, they're talking about the budget at the moment, are they not? So is this likely to, to be, to, to pass at that level? No, no. I think um, the, the whole cabinet with the three different parties, especially the FDP and the Green Party, um, we've seen it today. I think uh, there was the, the law for the heating system for households and this, as far as I know, has not been passed today anyhow, so they are postponing it. Um, there is an internal fight between those two big parties within the, the cabinet, which is the Green Party and the Liberals. Mm -hmm. And um, well, it's also the question on a, on a political Berlin whether these internal problems, which the uh, Habeck and the Ministry of Economics had, um, was also connected a little bit to all the, the different uh, measurements we saw in the past. Um, whether this was directly connected to the person of, of Mr. Greichen, who now left, mm -hmm. or not, because I think. Um, what is known as he is not a great fan of a free two-sided market. Um, Mr. Greichen. Mr. Greichen wasn't a big fan of that. Uh, that was known. And also, uh, but I don't know, I'm not deeply in there, whether the industry price, the fixed price, and also the, the, refi the, the, the SERP plus profit um, was his idea or came out of his, his bubble, let's, let's call it this way. Um, so there was a lot of market missing in, in, in the whole system, which then comes from the FTP and uh, they, they are fighting a little bit right now. And just to, to provide the context or the background to, to Mr. Greichen, why he had to, to leave the government, that was because he, he was accused of nepotism or, or appointing someone who he knew uh, into to a key role. So um, in, some, in some parts of Europe, that's accepted as perfectly normal. But here, yeah, it's good to, good to see the Germans have some sense of integrity anyway. Um, but, but Stephanie, I'd like to also talk a little bit more you know, okay, you have all these regulatory, regulatory and policy interventions, but you know, the key factor is how we green the industry, how we accelerate the energy transition. So if, if you could, you know, what, what should politicians and policymakers, both at the, the national but also at the European level, be doing here more? I would say provide um, security, <clears throat> but not in a fixed price, <laughs> but investment security. So, I mean, a lot of companies already signed PPAs to green themselves. And um, some others might also have invested in, in actually in assets. And um, a lot of companies also have their own targets, right? And they might even be stricter than what the government, or like the German government or the politics actually have as targets. So, I mean, this is, if we look in the past, I mean, if we have big companies actually committing to become CO2 neutral. So, I mean, this is a huge step and I think the government should be supporting um, these companies to actually reach these targets or to reach this and then to contribute to the overall target and not to, to like throw bricks and make it more complicated and yeah. The market. So, yes. yeah, so, so, but do you then provide some sort of incentives uh, at a level rather than twiddling around with the wholesale price? Is that what yeah. you're saying, Stephanie? Yeah. I mean, 
we, we, we are not only having the discussions about um, industrial prices, but we also have the discussions about CFDs. And I don't know, on the geo market, we have the discussion if we need to have um, 15 minutes products for geos to, to match supply and demand. But the big problem we still have is that the grid is not sufficient. And I mean, we need a better grid to make the whole energy transition actually work. And for me, this has been a major problem or the major problem for years. And it, it makes the intent, or it, it looks like they're coming up with new ideas to overshadow the actual problem. And I mean, that's at the core of the issue here, like you say, the, the expanding the grid and, and, you know, the permitting process, speeding that up as well is absolutely crucial. We hear it from companies from politicians all over Europe and, and that's the, the real elephant in the room here, isn't it? What, what's your view? To this? <laughs> well, again, I, I must agree. Um, uh, pinpointing the issues of the grid is, is one thing and uh, we have different fights everywhere. I think we are speaking also right now in Germany to splitting up Germany into price zones. and. Um, what we've seen, especially in Scandinavia, is that price zones will not incentivize investments into the grid itself. So pushing that up, this is one part. The other part is also that I, I, I have the feeling that the politicians are underestimating the willingness of the whole population to become really green. And um, if we've missed something in the past years, where also have some radical movements within the German populations are right somehow that we talk quite a lot, but we haven't done really a lot. So the industries with the RE100 uh, incentive, they really want to become really green. Normal people want to become really green and they understand, well, I can't really trade power with my neighbor somehow from his solar panel because that it's not allowed by law. Or I can't really physically buy power from North Germany when I'm in the South because I have grid connections. So pushing that and understanding really that it is important to become really green and not only on paper. It's a general movement which is increasing within Germany. So it's about time to not talk the talk, but actually walk the walk, uh, yeah. to, to coin a phrase. Stephanie and Tobias, thank you very much for joining the Monto Weekly Podcast. And, and you can read these topics, these issues that we've been discussing here and much, much more on montelnews.com. Thank you.